Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. A subject on the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. A believer and the unbeliever, if you will. And this is going to be part number seven. Praise God. Our main test has been Ephesians 4, 17 to 23. But we're not going to read that. We're just going to read from Romans chapter 9, verse 4. And then Ephesians 2, verse 12. These are the two main areas we are dealing with now. In the course of this uh, subject or study. So we just go quickly to Romans 9 verse 4. Romans 9 verse 4. It says, Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Israel got that. Praise the Lord. Now Ephesians 2 verse 12. Ephesians 2 verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant and promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, so this evening we're just going to be dealing with the issue of the promises. And uh, as the promises, as touching the promises that God made to Israel, quick, the Gentiles do not have. Hallelujah. Now, to start with the promises to physical Israel was the land of Canaan, the blessings that will come through the Messiah, and his kingdom. And these promises were made often and repeatedly to the patriarchs and then the prophets. Hallelujah. They have these promises. Which basically, number one, has to do with the land, the promised land, which is land of Canaan. And then we have the promises that uh, borders along or around the promise of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, which was often repeated to the patriarchs and then the prophet also. And these promises the Gentiles never had. These promises of Christ and that which is called the promised land, the Gentiles never had these promises. Amen? And so let's read the book of Second Samuel chapter 7. Verse number 12, as touching one of the promises. 
that was made in relation to the coming Messiah. Second Samuel 12. Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 12 says, And when did thy days be fulfilled? Now, Samuel was speaking to David. And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of the bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 13 said, He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Praise God. Now, this promise was not about Solomon. This was Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the living God. And so we can find this in the book of uh, Acts chapter 3, in the last two verses, if you will. Acts 3, and the last two verses, if you need to take that. The book of Acts chapter 3, the last two verses, we can also see that from there. And there I say, Ye are the children of the prophet, and of the com- covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, uh, in thy seed... Um, okay, let's go back a little bit to verse 20. Take it from verse 24. So that you can see what I mean. Yeah, I'm not a prophet. From Samuel. And that's what we read now. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. From Samuel and to those that follow after us. Many as are spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Now he was talking about what was happening in relation to Pentecost that was now on display. And so, he was saying, right from that account of Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 12. Is that okay? Right. So, we'll look at the next thing. And um, verse 15 of 25 now. Ye are the children of the prophet and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be, world be blessed. This promises, like I'm saying, primarily was made unto those people. But not unto the Gentiles. Now remember, when Peter was speaking on this particular day, he was speaking to the Jews. Is that okay? To whom those promises were made. Now the next thing is the, the verse 26, and it says, Until you first, until you first, meaning other people are going to get it. Until you for the Jews, having raised up his son, Jesus sent him to bless you in turning away every one of us from what? His iniquities. And that's the first promise that God made. When he said he's going to bless the nations with, I mean, through the seed of Abraham, it was not necessarily physical blessing per se. He was dealing primarily with the forgiveness of sins, which has to do with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which has to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes upon people, as they receive that which Jesus did and releasing the Holy Spirit, their sins were forgiven. So that's the first blessing that God gave so Abraham, that through their seeds are all the nations of the earth be blessed. So the primary blessings that God gave to Abraham was that through Jesus Christ, the sins of mankind shall be forgiven. Now, Peter was saying on that day of Pentecost, now you Jews first have received it because you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the primary thing you can find when you receive the Holy Spirit today is that your sins are forgiven. Amen, somebody. And so, the promises that God made unto the Jews, we are now receiving it today. 
right from the day of Pentecost, we receiving that same forgiveness of sin. So we have to have that assurance that the promise that God made to Israel, we are now receiving it in Christ by reason of his sacrifice and the outpouring of what? Of the Holy Spirit. So first and foremost, get this established. You, re- you were not there when the promise was made, but now you're receiving that promise. And I, I mean, the abundance of that promise is that your sins are what? Forgiven. That has to be established. That has to be noted. That has to be received. And that has to be digested. You've got to know that. And I've been trying to emphasize this. You cannot. No part of the scripture guarantees that you will have to be judged for the sins of Adam. I said no. Scripture said no to that. You can't be judged for the sins of Adam anymore. Neither in the first place can you be judged, but you can be chastened as a son. Praise the living God. So understand this that your sins have what? Forgiven. And like some of my brethren will say, past, present, and evil, future. And that will be very hard. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Okay. So we know again that, like we said, these promises, these great Abrahamic promises, successfully unfolded, you know, and which we have now received the who in Christ. Praise the Lord. Okay, go with me to Galatians 3, verse 16. Galatians 3, verse number 16. Praise God. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made. He said not unto seeds as of many but of one as of one. And to thy seed which is what? Christ. So when Christ, when, when God was making the promises to Abraham, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, all of those places, he was referring to who? Christ. He wasn't talking about Isaac. Hallelujah. Did you get that? This promises he made was to Christ and to thy seed. Not seeds, not many, but one seed. And that seed was who? Christ. And the verse 17 said, And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of God of none effect. Now I need to say this, I'm going to say something here again to you. Look at it closely. And this I say that a covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, that is to say, when God made a promise to Abraham and touching Christ, the law had not been made. The Lord came into play 430 years later on. That's why I keep saying that the book of Genesis is not part of the Lord of Moses. Do you understand that? So it is for me, it is erroneous when you start talking about using the word the Old Testament and you include the book of Genesis. No. 
The book of Genesis is not part of what you call the Old Testament. Testament means the will. So, the will actually starts from Exodus. And as a matter of fact, Exodus 19 to 20 and down the line. You see that? So, the book of Genesis is a book of grace. It's a book that explains, reveals, and manifests the Christ of God. Nothing to do with the law. Are we here together? I want you to pick the because it's very important. And I'm going to say that you find that Abraham lived under grace. Abraham never lived under the law. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Okay, so you move on to verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Amen? It's not against the promises of God. It tried to help men, which has to do with the Jews now, to fulfill the righteousness of God, to come into play. But you realize that Abraham never had to keep any law to be a righteous man. How many of you remember that? The Bible says because they believed God, it was accounted, accredited to him for what? For righteousness. Now, but you see something. Help me, Jesus. We do not just have righteousness imputed to us. We are having righteousness impacted to us. And that's a big difference. When you say, I say you are righteous. You are only say, I've made you righteous. It's not about coming into our account. It's becoming our nature. Oh, you need to understand what I'm saying. Righteousness is not imputed to us. It's what impacted to us. So 1 Corinthians 1.30 will say, God has made Christ to be what? Our redemption, our sanctification, our justification, and what? Our righteousness. We are righteous. It's not imputed. Impacted, I mean imputed is what? Impacted. Praise God. Do you understand this? Good. Now, what I'm trying to explain now is the man in the street do not have God's righteousness impacted to him. Not even imputed. For Abraham it was imputed. But for us, it is impacted. Because they see you to be righteous because you believe what I said. But when God looks at you, he says you are righteous and that's your nature. Oh, come on. I don't know if you are getting this. Right. When it's imputed, it's like it is recorded. It's recorded that this man is righteous. Okay, there's no law against him. There is nothing. But when he looks at you, he's not talking about what is written or what is recorded. He's saying, you are righteous. That is your nature. That is your life. You are impacted with God's own nature, which is God's righteousness. This is what the man in the street cannot have. Do you understand that? Before you become a believer, you will never, never. I'm not talking of impacted now. You will never impacted. I mean imputed. You were never imputed. So but now you becoming a believer and receiving Christ based on the promises 
His righteousness is not just imputed to you, but what? Impacted. Now, you see, he is righteous. Therefore, you are righteous. Because his life has become your life. You don't have to walk to become righteous. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Did you get that? Right. So, when you are in the street, just like the man in the street, is not impacted. We're not even talking about imputed. It's not imputed at all. Right. And that's a great advantage you have from the unbelieving man. So, you may be walking and drinking and eating with the unbeliever. You should see yourself. You should know. You should believe it. You should accept it. You should walk in that consciousness that you are an impacted man having the life of God, even though you are eating. You see, Jesus was eating and dining with the sinner, the Bible says. But he was the embodiment of God's righteousness. You understand that? That he was eating with the sinner does not remove his righteousness. Oh, no, 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 no. You need to understand what I'm saying. Is, is that okay? So, that you are in the world, you're going to market, you're eating, you're drinking with people, does it remove your righteousness? You are still righteous in the midst of where you are along with the people. Oh, no. And you see what I'm saying here? Praise the living God. It does, you have to have that consciousness. You have to, you have to believe it. You have to, hey, you have to cherish it. And one of the things that Jesus have done because of your faith in that which is called the finished work of Christ. Hallelujah. So no matter where you are, no matter where, what you're doing, no matter where you find yourself, let that thing be ringing in your head. I'm righteous because his life is impacted to my life. We only need to leave it out. We don't need to walk to become righteous. Is that okay? Praise the living God. Alright. Okay. Look at Acts chapter 26 verse 6. This is Paul speaking to I think King Felix trying to defend himself. Act 26 verse number 6. Paul speaking said, Now I stand and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Remember, dealing with the hope. Unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. What hope? For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Now what hope was he talking about? He was talking of the hope of resurrection. You see, if you take time to study, when Paul was trying to defend himself, you find that when he mentioned the resurrection, now the, the, the Pharisees believe in resurrection, they believe in judgment, they believe in angels. The scribes don't believe in judgment, they don't believe in resurrection. Is that okay? Right. So, when Paul went out to cause trouble or division among them, he said, of the hope of the resurrection am I being condemned or judged? And they scribe me the Pharisee, oh come on, this man believe in resurrection so he's saying the same thing that we are saying. You understand what I mean? Right. So here we're talking about the promises, one of the promises that's made in the scripture is the hope of what? Resurrection. Praise the Lord. Now for the man in the street, he doesn't have this hope. The God doesn't even know anything about it. Praise the Lord. 
So we have the hope of the pardon, the hope of resurrection. Go with me to First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. For the believer. For the believer. But I will not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. That is sorrow not even as all that which have what? No hope. Can you see that? That is why I know it is painful when you lost uh, a close one, a close relation as the case may be, but I mean you should understand that this man is just simply asleep, he's not dead. I know you miss his presence, you miss his fellowship, you miss all of those things, but you shouldn't sorrow like, look at the next verse. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, that was a quick sleep in Jesus. Will God do what? Bring with him. Go back again to verse number 13. There is something that I will need you to see. Verse 13. But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as all that we do what? Have no hope. That means the promise of resurrection is given to the believers. The unbelievers do not have that promise. And so, because they don't have that promise, there is a way they go on sorrowing because of a loved one that passed on. But we don't have to go through that because we have the assurance that whoever passes on is going to be with Christ and in fact is going to be and is with Christ. Praise the Lord. So that assurance of that hope that was even given to the believers, the unbelievers do not have it. And that is why their own way of responding to a dead one or the man that sleep is completely different from those of us who know it that if we draw this flesh, we are with Christ. We have a hope of resurrection. Praise the living God. Alright. The next thing we found there in the Ephesians that we read is the Gentiles were without God in this world. But the point is that they had gods, many. They had many gods. But no Gentile nation had a true God. It's not known to them. Nor indeed do they have any connection or correct notion of the divine nature of God. They don't have a clue about it. But they have several gods that they worship. You know, like the Indians. After they bundled everything away, they erected another one now. Which they are praying to, to help them overcome coronavirus. And that's the level of ignorance that in the mind that doesn't know God. They're always looking for gods to worship. You understand that? Just a few weeks ago, they bundled all the gods they have. Burn them up, throw them in the river, crush them, everything. But now they've erected another one, very big. You understand that? Which you are now worshiping to. You see that all of them buying into this God, the God who saved them now from coronavirus. That is a level of ignorance that is in the man in the street. They have no knowledge about the true God. And so because you have this knowledge, you don't behave the way they do. 
when it comes to this, you're serving God. You can't see yourself stoop so low to begin to serve gods made of idols like these people we're talking about. Hallelujah. Are you there? The idols are by nature no gods. The could neither do evil nor good. I remember, Sammy said that the idols, those who worship them are like them. Remember that? They have nose, they don't smell anything. They have mouth, they don't speak. You understand that the eyes, they don't see, ears, they don't hear. And scripture said, those that serve them, they are like what damn. So when you worship an idol, you're just reducing the image of God into a, a, I mean, a formless and useless situation. What I mean by that is, God speaks, God hears, and created you to be in His image and likeness. But when you start serving idols, you're turning the image of God into another thing. You're making an idol of yourself. Praise the living God. Can you get what I mean? Right. So, because they were doing that, or because the, the men in the world are doing that, they are actually without God. Praise the Lord. They have no true object of worship and no source of comfort. Just like I mentioned, look at the Indians. They are looking for comfort. They are looking for protection. But now, they're trying to get the comfort, the protection from these idols, which cannot provide it. You understand what I mean? But for you as a believer, you know who to go to when you need comfort, when you need joy, when you need peace, when you need protection, you know who to go to. You go into the Almighty Father, who is the creator of all things and all mankind. Praise the Lord. The unbeliever have neither God nor Christ. And in that case, they are very deplorable. They are in a deplorable state. A state of mess. Right? And so, neither can worship the true God or even Christ. By implication, because they don't come to this level of worshiping the true God and even Christ, they can be justified from their past sins. Is that alright? Right. They can be justified. Um, I heard somebody recently when I was reading saying that of course when he said everybody belongs to God yes God created all mankind that's true but there's a justification from our past the unbeliever is not justified because he's never received Christ praise the Lord because they have not received Christ therefore he's not justified so in the true sense why everybody is created by God, those men that have not received Christ are still wallowing in the sin and the judgment that was supposed to be on Adam. They are still harboring, walking, moving in the life of Adam. Praise the Lord. God has made a provision for everybody, but they have not come to the realization Therefore, they are not justified from their past. That is what the gospel is all about. Getting men to know that you need to be justified from your past. In who? In Christ. 
Praise the Lord. So this is the state of every man who is living without the grace and the spirit of Christ. They are not justified. Or such whether they may profess or practice anything in practical times they are all a taste. They don't believe God. Praise the living God. They are practical a taste whatever it is. They have no excuse whatsoever. No excuse whatsoever because they are not justified in the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Go with me to Galatians 4 verse number 8. Galatians 4 verse number 8. And this word is speaking to us for those who have come to believe. But primarily Paul was addressing the Jews in this case. I mean the Galatians who have come to believe. And uh, some Judaistic people were trying to get them back into the law. Happier then when you know not God. There's a time they don't know God. You did services unto them quit by nature are no gods. Service unto them quit by nature are no gods. But now, verse 9, after that you have known God. Or rather unknown of God. And that's very important. I need this. I'm going to emphasize that. How turn you again to the weak and beggarly element where unto desire again to be in bondage. Let me take it from message translation. Galatians 4 verse number 8. Message translation. Earlier before you knew God personally. So knowing God has to be personal. You were enslaved to so-called gods that had nothing of the divine about them. That's idols now. You understand that? Good. No connection with divinity. But we're used to that. And that's the kind of life that we're living in. Before you knew God personally or God come to know you. But now that you know the real God or rather, since God knows you, as a key, how can you possibly subject yourself again to those paper tigers? For that's exactly what you do. You subject yourself to what? Paper tigers. In other words, you're worshipping. How many of you understand? If you have paper, you draw a tiger on the paper. Right? For a little child, it can be frightening when you show the picture of a tiger to a little child. But not for an adult. I don't know if you're getting that. Good. So idols are actually paper tigers. They don't have any potential, any strength of their own. Praise the Lord. They are nothing but what? Paper tigers, and that is the kind of life you were living in before. Everything frightens you, everything scares you. I mean, when names from Sadiq Gods are mentioned, you are scared. But the scripture calls all of those things what? Paper tigers. Even the law of Moses was a paper tiger. Is that okay? <laughs> you may be surprised to hear that. But that's true. Because one of the things that the Lord of Moses produces is nothing but fear. 
You try it easy all the time. Use fear to get you to come to submission. So even the law was a paper tiger. Praise the Lord. If you look at the next verse, this is what it says. But that's exactly what you do when you are intimidated, fear now, into scrupulously observing all the traditions, the taboos, and the superstitious association with special days and seasons and years. All these things are not about paper tigers. Praise the living God. Okay. I would like to deal with the other aspect. I'm going to be a long reading. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 16. When he says when you come to know God, but God gets to know you. It's God that gets to know you. I've said it before on time with us number. You don't have anything to show for it. You don't have anything to be proud of that you know God. Because actually it's God that gets to know you. You don't know God. He picked you. Out of his love, he found you. And that's what I want to read for you. King James. Go to King James. Exodus 16 verse 4. And as for their nativity. Speaking to Israel now. In the day that I was born, that never was not caught. Now that was thou washed in water to serve to thee. That was not salted at all. You know what it means to so you salt, clean up a baby? So all those slimes, everything we get out of the baby. You were not salted. You, you understand that? Good. No swaddled at all. Alright. Verse number, what verse are we now? Verse 5. None I pity thee, nor do any of this unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou was cast out in the open field to the loathing of that person in the day that I was born. You know what it means when some prostitute give birth to baby and I just cast them away. Right. And that's exactly what describing Israel to be. Verse 6. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thy own blood, I said unto thee, When was thou living thy blood? Live ye. I said unto thee, When thou was in thy blood, live. Verse 7. I've caused thee to multiply as the bold of the field, and as increase and was great, and thou hast come to excellent ornaments, a brace are fashioned. And the hair is grown, whereas I was naked and bare. Verse 8 now. When I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, the time was a time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness, yea, I swore unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, thou becomest mine. Then wash I thee with water. Yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with burning work, and showed thee with barger skin, and I gathered thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with all sick. Now you begin to see provision that a husband makes for the, for the wife. You begin to see how much God loves you, and what he intends to do, and what he's doing in and through your life. You understand that? He pitied you, picked you up, and his clothing is protecting, he's providing for you as a wife. 
Hallelujah. Verse 11, I deck thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelet upon thy hands, and a chain on thy neck, O glory. God, we have to beautify you. Hallelujah. It's not what you do, it's not what you are doing. God's intention is to beautify you because you are the wife. Verse 12, And I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thy ears, and a beautiful crown upon thy head. Praise God. Thus were that decked with gold and silver, and a raiment with fine linen and silk, and breaded work, that did eat fine flour, and onion, and oil, that was exceedingly beautiful, O oh, glory, and that did prosper into thy kingdom. And thou renowned went forth among the heathen for thy beauty. Can I hear an amen to that? For it was perfect through my comeliness, which I have put upon thee, saith the Lord. But thou didst trust in thy own beauty, and play the hallowed because of thy renown, and because of thy word, but a fornication on everyone that passed by his it was. Praise the living God. What is God saying here? I want you to see how you finally came to the Lord. You did not come to Him. Remember what He said. When you personally get to know God. But no. When God gets to know you. Your salvation is simply of grace. You did nothing to come to God. He found you. He picked you. He washed you. He cleaned you. And what's the next thing He's doing? He's decking you up with beauty and glory. He's bringing you to the place of absolute perfection. He's bringing you to the place where men will envy, look at you and say, man, this man is worthy to be associated with. He's bringing honor to your life. Praise God, somebody. This you can't get for being in the street. No, this you can't get for being an unbeliever. This is what God is doing for you. As an unbeliever, you struggle to do this thing, to be accepted by men. But when you come to God, He is doing the thing for you. Not to be only accepted, but to be envied by men. Praise the living God, somebody. So it's you that God found. You never found God. He sought you out. He pitied you. He picked you and washed you and cleaned you. And now he's close to you. There's a glory that's coming upon your life now that you don't know about. But only men will see the glory and begin to find relationship with you. They begin to see the glory and they want to come close to you. There is something that God is putting on you. Remember he said he put a crown on your head. That is so they make you like a queen. Hallelujah. Men will begin to see the glory of God upon your life. And they will be coming to you. Praise the living God. This is what the man in the street cannot get. Everything the man in the street struggles to do is to put himself in the position. But as far as God is concerned as a believer, God is the one exhorting you, magnifying you, raising you. I tell you something, no matter where you are right now, a greater glory is coming upon you. A greater glory is coming upon your life. The honor that man cannot give, God is placing it upon your life. Glory to God. You are not ending the way you are now. As long as you can stay on with God. As long as you can allow God to do what he wants to do in your life. Your finishing point is going to be glorious. Hallelujah. He said I'm decking you up. I'm clothing you up. I'm bringing remnants upon you. My friend listen and listen closely. 
Whatever thing you think you're looking for, God is bringing it your way for being a believer. He's strengthening you. He's straightening you up. He's raising you. He's decking you with a precious thing, man. I'm saying bringing a lot of salvation principles and patterns to your life that men are going to see and say, of a truth, somebody has walked on this person. God's hand is upon your life. Praise the living God. So you see, you've been able to find a situation where God can turn around and see you. God is turned around and seeing you and looking at you and he doesn't like your condition. He doesn't like your state. He's never now going to pick you up and change your condition. He's changing your atmosphere. He's changing everything around you. He's bringing his honor, glory upon your life for being a believer. Praise the living God. I'm saying all this the man in the street cannot get. So he began to see the difference between you and who? The unbeliever. That's on the street. There is so much we can talk about. Go back and read this passage and see what God is doing in your life. Go back and study that passage and see the glory that God is bringing to your life. Friends, you haven't seen anything yet for being in God. Hallelujah. There is so much you can get here before you get into glory. Praise the living God. So I'm trying to make you see the difference between the believer and what? The unbeliever. So that your faith can stay in God. And for you to know that you are not serving God in vain, no. You're coming to God, or Him picking you up, you're accepting to be accepted by Him. I'm telling you something, His hand is upon your life, and you are going to finish strong. His glory shall rest more upon your life. He will clothe you in the way you never expected. Your need will have to be met. As a husband will meet the need of the wife, even so God will meet all your need. Spiritually, physically, materially, your needs are going to be met. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.